If you would go to the book of Judges with me, Judges chapter 14. You'll notice that I don't have the, uh, the verses on the screen, and that's been intentional actually lately, because I feel like that, uh, and it doesn't necessarily have to be like a paper Bible. If we're concerned about the format, then we'll go out and get some stones and carve uh, into that. It's more about that you're actually holding the word and reading the word. There's just something powerful about that. So if you've got your smartphone and your Version Bible or your iPad, we did get uh, faster internet this week and all of God's people said amen. <laughs> Selah. <laughs> that, uh, so that should be a little faster for you. But Judges chapter 14 is a story of Samson. Starting in, uh, starting in verse 1. Now Samson went down to Timnah, and he saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. And so he went up and he told his father and his mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines, and therefore go get her for me as a wife. <laughs> then his father and mother said to him, Is there, like seriously, not, is there no woman among the daughters of the brethren of or among all my people, that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. But his father, verse 4, and mother did not know that it was of the Lord. Make a mental note of that. That he was seeking an occasion, he, meaning God, was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. For at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. And so Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now, to his surprise, we can see that being a surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat. I think we've all seen that before. That's an easy thing to compare to. I've seen what foxes can do to chickens. I've just never seen what, how one would tear apart a young goat. So if anybody has any want to report back on that, let me know. <laughs> tore apart as a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done in verse 7. And then he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. And after some time, when he had returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion and behold a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion and he took some of it in his hands and went along eating and when he came to his father and mother it's kind of gross he gave some to them but he didn't tell them that he had taken it out of the carcass of a lion probably better that he didn't didn't mention that father would you give us insight this morning to your word that it would be the lamp and the light that you promised us, that you would give us direction and, and uh, that you would speak to each of us personally, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. It was a few years ago that we, uh, have you been to Happy Tales? You know what I'm talking about when I talk about the Happy Tales up in Franklin, the, uh, the little pet no-kill rescue thing? So for a while there, we didn't live very far from it, and it was like going to the library for dogs. You just check one out, Walk them a little bit, but you put them back when you're done, right? Good thing kids get the itch, you know, scratch that itch. And of course, the risk of that is you take one home. And I know that's why they do it. Like now I know that. Because 
And we had done this many times with no problem, but one day uh, there was a dog named Adonis. A weird name for a dog, but be that as it may, uh, that Lauren, my uh, youngest daughter, fell in love with. She would have been, how old would she have been? Seven, five out of seven? Wept the whole way home. It's the greatest dog I've ever seen. <laughs> Just, I mean, literally wrapping around my little finger. And uh, so we ended up bringing home Adonis. Now, thankfully, uh, they had, the people who had fostered this dog had renamed him, uh, his name to Samson. And I say thankful for, for one reason really and one reason only, standing on the back porch and yelling for Adonis. <laughs> Adonis! Could we sound any more pretentious, right? And the answer is yes, because we have a dog named Annabelle. And uh, so I'm living out in the country with, amongst the rednecks and the duct tape and the zip ties, and on occasion I have to stand out and yell for Annabelle. It's completely humiliating. Um, we adopted her. She, anyway, <laughs> Keith, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but what we didn't know was the reason they changed Samson's, uh, Adonis' name to Samson. And that was because uh, we put him in a, a crate and he would break out of it. We put him in, Shannon left once because he would break out of the crate. Well, we put him in the, in the little hall bathroom. And he ate the bathroom. <laughs> like the whole thing. He just literally chewed and scratched. It was like Cujo had come out and clawed his way, desperate to escape from this torture. So, so strong that he could literally, in like one of those pet carriers, now he's half, uh, half Great Dane and uh, half idiot is basically the two, if there's an idiot breed. And, but he could literally like shake the crate to the point where he like one point came home, he had hoisted up half of it onto the uh, armoire, no, no, what's it called? Ottoman, someone get the nouns. And it was and escaped out the bottom. Now, I don't know how he did that. Somehow jumped enough to get it out the bottom. Until now, we just don't put him in the kennel. Thank, figured that out. Took us a while. Uh, that, uh, and he doesn't do anything when we're gone. He, he's perfectly fine. Um, the, but the thing about Samson the dog is that, so that's Samson the dog. You come to our house. I've got three daughters. I'm actually kind of uniquely okay with this. He doesn't like many people. Uh, and so he actually sleeps in Maddie's room in the, in, at nighttime, and uh, she lives uh, in the basement, uh, lives in the basement. She sleeps. <laughs> that didn't sound right. <laughs> but I never worry about anybody coming in the basement because that dog will rip them limb for limb. That's one part of him. This other part of him, when he goes to the dog park, he folds up like a napkin. Like literally is, you'd think we beat him. He's just, this whole, his entire posture is like fear of everybody. So on one side, he's ferocious and startling and strong. And on this other side, he's a complete pansy. Like a weakened noodle, like literally like, are you kidding me? Because you, you scare people, but not at the dog park, not when he's walking out of the park. He's complicated. <laughs> And I'm reading this story of the biblical Samson, and I see a guy that's kind of complicated. On one side, he's super strong and ferocious, and on the other side, he's an utter pansy. On one side, he is like ripping a lion like a young goat, and on the other side, he is folding up like a napkin in the lamp of a crazy woman. Ain't nothing worse than a crazy woman and a weak man. We can all go home now, right? That's it. 
But that's Samson's weakness, man. He's, he's strong, but he, is a, he has got a certain affinity for crazy women. Like this thing that we see unfolding here, he's going down to marry this, and his parents, like, oh, man, Samson, seriously, is there not anybody? I mean, even, how about you get like a, a normal Philistinian woman, Philistine woman? No, he's got to get a till of the hun. He's going for crazy, crazy. And as this story unfolds, he wants to get this woman for his wife, and his parents are like, oh, no. And, this, and think about it as a parent. How great of a failure do you must, uh, he must, they must have felt horrible. Because the Philistines were crushing Israel. They were oppressing. They were under siege. This was, and he has fallen in love with the very thing that oppressed him. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Does that feel familiar? Falling in love with the thing that oppresses you? And so he goes, and they're failing in their minds. They're failing. And that little verse 4 is like, it's like a lifeline for a parent. They didn't know that it was of the Lord. That their greatest failure is about to be God's greatest success in their life. That God's sovereignty is so much greater than their stupidity. That his sovereignty is better and bigger than my stupidity. That he can take this thing that looked like a failure and turn it into a, a, a success. This thing that looked like a weakness and make it a strength. Because Samson would go down to Timno with the family and they throw a, pie, a party. And not like a party, like a, the gala, like a seven-day burner, okay? Like literally people waking up on the floor the next morning kind of party. Like the kind that the preachers don't usually talk about kind of party. And Samson, drunk on his own power, probably drunk in general, they're going to, you know, in, the, in the standard of this, gonna, there's these gifts that are brought. And so Samson, hey, let's do a wager. Let's say I give you this riddle, and if you can solve it, you can take all of the money, all of the blessings that are meant for us in our marriage. So he lays out this riddle that is only solvable if you had been with him on the way with the lion and the honey and the whole thing. And of course, none of them had. And over the days, they're trying to get the secret out of them. They're trying to solve it. And then the pattern that would unfold again in his life later is, hey, how about we take this crazy lady and get her to talk, talk it out of him? Because Samson was confused that intimacy means trust. And that's not always true. And so she would stroke his ego and he gives her the answer and she goes back and lays it all out and tells them and of course they now solve the riddle and he knows that this isn't right he knows that they, she had to have sold him up the river but this thing that he wanted so bad this woman that he wanted so desperately that it was in the will of God and he didn't get her and it was in the will of God. Can you see God's will in the stuff you didn't get? For the house that you didn't get to close on, for the relationship that didn't work out, for the job that you wanted. See, the thing that I think that frustrated me early on, I, if I can be honest with you, my theology has, like a lot of us, has grown over the years. And there was a time in my life where I equated God's will with domination. Where God's will meant kicking butt, taking names, the Holy Ghost, fired up. And that once you were in the will of God, so much so that the will of God, he was in the will of God that it actually says, and it was in God's will. That 
it should have gone well, but I, so I kind of didn't like these kinds of verses because they didn't agree with my theology. So I would kind of skip that one. And boy, I wish I hadn't of early because here's why it's important that we understand the word and the scriptures. There was a point in my life where uh, a, f- a friend of ours, Buddy Harrison, who had uh, founded a large publishing house uh, that to this day is, is in existence and it, is, uh, it publishes everybody from uh, T.D. Jakes to Joyce Meyer. I mean, it's, it's, it, it went pretty well for Buddy. Buddy got sick with throat cancer, one of the most cruel ironies of a preacher getting throat cancer. The tool that he needed the most, he had the least. And Buddy had a parade of private jets flying in of of, uh, the evangelists who were praying for him. Names that if I were to name them, you would know their names. And Buddy died. It was uh, around Thanksgiving of 1998. And I didn't even know what to do with that. I didn't know what to say because what I had believed about God didn't happen. And of course, when it was over, then it's like, well, yeah, maybe he had secret sin and God couldn't move in his life. And, I'm and honestly, what it came down to for me was a question of either there is no God or what I believe about him is wrong. That I was asking him to keep a promise he didn't make. It's important that we understand what the promises of God are, what the Bible promises us, what the Bible doesn't promise us. On Wednesday night with our teenagers, we're going through this journey of the questions that you've always wanted to ask and didn't have the courage, and we let them write them anonymously, and one of the questions was, if Jesus is real, why don't I ever feel him? Great question. And one of the things I ask him to do is turn to the Bible, turn in your Bible to the part where God promises that you'll feel him. It's not in there. I'm asking him to keep a promise he didn't make. So when I take the lens back and see the big picture, and we're going to talk a little bit, tiny bit about that tonight and the journey that we're going to go on with our kids. But I look at Samson and say, this was, a, this was in the will of God, and it didn't, like, that, because what happened was it's in the will of God, and all hell broke loose. Has that ever happened to you before? You know what I'm saying? The, oh, God, I feel like God is telling me to do this. Oh, I know he is because I got a word from the Lord. I, I prayed and it rained in the front yard and it was dry in the back. And then I opened my Bible and it happened to be on that page and the thing. And I got a prophecy. And then you did it and all hell broke loose. <laughs> the will of God, this was big news for me 15 years ago, is not a warranty that I don't have any problems. Huge news for me. And when Samson went down to Timnah, all hell broke loose in the will of God. And I look at this and I'm, I'm intrigued by the idea of Samson, but what I'm really intrigued by is the idea of his parents thinking, we've screwed this one up, man. This is, we're, we are fools. We should have done this better. We shouldn't. Because when you look at Samson, you see me, he's in the hall of faith. But you know what you don't see Samson doing? Praying. You don't see him in the temple. You see a guy who is led by his passion. So much so that it jumped the tracks and went to the Philistines. So much so that not just the Philistines, but a crazy Philistine. And he liked that so much, he thought he'd do it again. And his parents did not know that it was of the Lord. 
And I take some solace in that because when the Bible promises us that man's steps are ordered of the Lord, he didn't say just the good steps. He said your steps are ordered of the Lord. So much so God is so big, so sophisticated, so smart, if you will, that even your, <laughs> my dumb stuff, he can still make sure and bring it back to him. Remember Jonah? Jonah, God said, hey, go to Nineveh. And where did Jonah go? Tarsus, the exact opposite direction. On the surface, I would say he was out of the will of God. But God had a whale waiting for him. <laughs> and Jonah would be swallowed and in the, under the sea and then puked up on the shores of Nineveh that God's sovereignty was going to get him where he needed to be, to move him where he wanted him to be. So much so that Jesus would later say, hey, this is a picture of my death, burial, and resurrection. Jonah taking a wrong turn, God still made it a right turn. You are not dumb enough to cajole your way out of the will of God. Now, I believe there are steps you could take that are going to cause you more heartache than necessary. But I also believe that God is so big that that heartache, he can then use it to drive you to what he needs you to do. He knows what passion you have and where that button is, and he can hit it to get you to do what he has for you to do. And if you don't believe that, think about yourself and your own life. When I was a little guy, and we grew up in the middle of nowhere, and we were, we were poor, like food pantry, food stamps kind of poor. Like when you go to school, you had to get the government lunch. And I don't know how they do it these days, but in those days, you got a different color lunch card. And they gave you smaller portions. And I remember the first couple times I did that, this lunch lady named Donna Fullerton, who was meaner than two snakes. She had one of them like faces where someone hit her with a pan, just flat and mean, <laughs> scowling. She's no longer with us. <laughs> no, I'm just, she was, it was a long time ago. I didn't mean that. Well, that came out wrong. <laughs> But I remember her scowls and her judgments and me thinking the, the embarrassment and the shame. So much so that I made a decision in sixth grade, fifth or sixth grade, I don't remember which. It would have been fifth because I had Mrs. Schlaman, <laughs> the German teacher, who wouldn't let me write with my left hand. It was a long story. <laughs> but I remember thinking there's no way that I'm going to let her have that look at me ever again. And so I learned that if you bought those little 10 packs of bubble yum or bubble gum, they came 10 to a pack. And if you sold them by noon, you could double your money and have enough for lunch. And I went hungry some days for lunch and other days I had just enough. I also learned about inventory control. <laughs> Turns out if you chew too much of it. <laughs> the quarters that other people would walk by or the nickels I would use to buy the gum and and that very thing, that pain, that shame, that embarrassment is what I believe made me into the entrepreneur that I would later come into and to be. Because we learned how to just figure stuff out. We learned that I don't have to wait for somebody to give me a job. I don't have to wait for somebody to hand me something. I can figure that out. And you know what that means? You know why this is good news for you and for I? 
Because that means that a transformed life doesn't have to live with regret. That the, look, not just your friends, okay? When all things work together for good, that means not just your friends that moved you into where God wants you to be, but the backbiters, the betrayers, the scum, the mean people that spitefully, the guys that had their foot on your throat are the ones that God used to drive your passion to be who you are today. I think you should all go home and send them a Christmas card. Thank you. That I can look back at that bully. That I can think, Dan, Donna Fullerton, if you made it to heaven, I'm going to hug you someday. Thank you for what you did. Samson's parents looking at their greatest failure on the surface. It's only a failure if the story is about right now and you. If I pull back the lens into the 30,000 foot view of God and the story of redemption, that he can take my good steps and my bad steps. He can redeem them all. He can take the people that loved me and the people that hated me and still redeem them all. And I can relax. I can enjoy the rest that he promised us. And Samson would go down to the, to the lap of a crazy lady, he, a lady he didn't even get. And in God's, in the way that God can, the way that God does, Samson, when Samson was strong, it was Samson that was strong. But when Samson was weak, God was strong. Maybe that's what Paul was talking about in 2 Corinthians 10 when he said, in your weakness, I'm strong. The weakness that you have experienced, the disappointment that you have felt, the affliction that you have been like suffering God is saying, it's there that I'll be strong. Samson, congratulations, you killed a lion with nothing in your hands. That's awesome. But it says that in his death, you remember that he had, by the time, the second time, when Delilah comes around and this same passion that drove him, it's like God, like when you're pulling a, we were shooting with the bow and arrow yesterday. I know that uh, <laughs> Tim Bassanio sent me a picture last night of a hog that he skewered in Texas but when you pull that, the further back that bow goes, the further north it goes. And I wonder sometimes those one step forward, two step back moments is the moment for God to just say, no, because I'm, I'm launching you so far north, I need to pull you further back south. That that thing that you suffered is just enough to throw you forward to the destiny that God has for you. That that's what he did for Samson. Because Samson, it says, in that day, with his eyes gouged out, he prayed, God, just one more chance. The only time you see any record of Samson praying and on that day, he killed more Philistines in one day and one moment than he had in his entire life leading up to that. That what his parents thought was just a monumental screw-up was God saying, I'm still going to get in this, and I'm going to work it all together for the good. Your parents that love, and I'd say that to you parents this morning, know when he says that your children, when he says you, he means your children are safe in his hands. No one's going to pluck them out. And there's a moment where, you know, how, how many parents have talked about, oh, I should have done this better, I should have done that different, I've totally messed this up. And, we, and then we'll say out of the other side of our mouths, well, there's no such thing as a perfect parent. But yet then we're beating ourselves up for the imperfection. It's like, what about if the distance that I can get in my parenting skills that God would make up the rest? Can you believe that this morning? That God's sovereignty, that his goodwill, his, 
His pleasing will also includes a perfect will, according to Romans 12. When he says that you're fearfully and you're wonderfully made, that does mean at one point he picked up dirt from the ground and the same God that blew life into that dirt and created man and the miracle of life, which is if you're at conduit, is all around us. A lot of miracles happening, a lot of babies being born. He blows life into those children. That same God is not just blowing physical life, but he is ordering your life, creating your life as you go. He is that powerful. He is that sovereign. And I would say as we were just coming around into land, that the hope would be this. A.W. Tozer said that it is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. The hurt that you have experienced, the hurt that Samson's parents experienced, I believe is the same moment, that same thing that looked like failure is an opportunity now for God. And think about it. Those of you, I mean, what is conduit? What do we do? We help poor people all over the world. We help addicts right down the street. When I was in fifth grade, my dad was drug off to a mental institution because he was hooked on prescription meds and nobody even knew what that really was in the 80s. It wrecked our lives. I'm happy to report that he's been clean for however many years that is, which I, wouldn't, I don't even know then how big of a miracle that is. I know now. But what do you think God would say? I'll take that weakness in Darren's life and we'll build a church around it. We'll take that lack of justice that Darren felt and we'll build a church around that. That we care about what's happening in Iraq and nobody wants to talk about it. It's not because I'm that spiritual. It's just that God said, that's the wound that I'll use in you. And I look around this room, and one of the things that we do as part of Conduit and Discover Conduit is a chance to tell our stories to each other. And there's a reason behind that, because your story is like mine. It's messy. It's complicated. And normally in a day when you tell that to somebody, in the words of the poet Sweet Brown, ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> that blank stare looking back at you like, oh, oh, you did what? Oh, oh. And then they don't talk to you anymore because you're complicated. You don't have to admit to that. You just keep looking forward and no one knows it's you. I'm looking at a room full of complicated people that God is redeeming and restoring and using our good stuff and our bad stuff, our wins and our failures, our successes and our screw-ups, and saying, I'm going to take them all and make them for good. That kind of a God is a God worth worshiping. That kind of a God is a God worth praising. And as our musicians, would you guys join us? Because I really would like us to join and say that right now that God, I, you know, whatever that is in your heart that is hurting, maybe that's God poking at you. That passion, that anger that Samson felt after being betrayed by a Philistine not once but twice, that anger is what drove him. That hurt is what God would then use and bring it to his glory and his good. Where's the hurt that you've got this morning? And maybe God is just pulling it back, maybe a little bit more this morning, maybe a little bit more, but not forever because it will sail into the future of what God's destiny is for you. He is sovereign. You are not dumb enough to fall out of the will of God. You are not smart enough to get out of the will of God. 
Not if you love him, not if you're called according to his purpose. Relax this morning. And as we're worshiping, I want you to go to there in your mind, who's that guy for me and Donna Fullerton, okay? That, that, you know, that, that just was mean and scowling. Who's that in your life? Who had their foot on your throat that just wanted to keep you down, hold you down, and maybe that's what God is saying this morning. No, no, I'm gonna use that to draw out of you what I have for your destiny. Picture him in your mind and thank God for him. Father, would you give us wisdom and insight and, and, and just the, the, the faith that it takes to worship you for getting us through these things that hurt us so bad, knowing that it's that thing that you promised even in the Bible that the, in the, where I've been hurt, it will be where I get to heal in others. Show it to us this morning. Give us the face. Let's thank God for them. Thank God for that. And God, for those of us that can't, we're in the middle of it right now, and I can't see it because I'm so close to it. I don't have the beauty of time to look back on. Give me faith to look forward on. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.